Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. In today's episode, I'm talking about ethical marketing. And as the author of a book called Public Sector Marketing Pro, this will be very interesting. The digital age allows marketers to scale messaging, engagement, and conversions, but not all of the powers of the internet are being used ethically. And what about government and public sector? Is marketing really right for you? Should we not be discussing communications as opposed to marketing? Well, coming up in episode 59, the new rules of public sector marketing, seven marketing practices for public sector, And I speak to Philip Othen, senior content writer with the New Statesman Media Group about the seven unethical marketing practices to avoid. In today's column, I'm talking about the new rules of marketing in public sector. And of course, I wrote the book on it. And don't forget, the second edition of the book is coming out this year. So public sector digital marketing is vastly different to digital marketing for a business. So why is it that so many resources and courses and blogs and social networks are generalizing about digital marketing and not thinking about how we need to customize it for your sector? Quite simply, it's because digital marketing and social media for government and public sector is potentially not the sexiest topic to talk about. So just as well that I have made it my life's mission to work and develop resources for your sector. As a former broadcast journalist, I really appreciate trust and transparency. I really appreciate the work that government and public sector do and all facets of life. Because without a strong government and a good democracy and an open and transparent public sector, then it really erodes trust that people have. And so the book Public Sector Marketing Pro brings together 12 chapters of how you can lean into digital marketing and social media with great effect. And one thing that I wanna share with you, if you haven't read this book review from a Facebook executive, I think it really sums up why public sector marketing has shifted, but also equally why it's so important. So the book seemed to hit a nerve with Elol Riffman, a senior executive working in Facebook uh, within government politics and advocacy. And so here's his serendipity moment, as he calls it. And this is a direct quote. I'm not sure how this happened, as I wasn't supposed to be the one around the table to preach about it. But I find myself arguing that government entities can't settle for paid media campaigns only as they deliver their messages. I wish I had this quote in my pocket from the book Public Sector Marketing Pro from Joanne Sweeney. And then he quotes me in the book, social media serves not just your organization, but also the public interest. You have responsibility to leverage the channels to reach key audiences and deliver important messages. I challenge you senior leaders and marketing and communications pros to put the needs of the public ahead of your own personal bias 
or the reluctance around social media. So in the review, Elal says that when I discuss digital marketing for government and public sector, he really noted that the language that I use comes from a place of public interest messaging and is completely different to marketing and digital marketing for business. But I appreciated his review, but equally he appreciated Public Sector Marketing Pro, which really is the book on how public sector marketing has changed in the digital age. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. So before we speak to Philip about his seven unethical marketing practices, I wanted to create some balance in this show. So I'm going to share with you seven ethical and valuable marketing practices that you can leverage within government and public sector. So the first one is thought leadership. And if you were tuned in to last week's episode on how to be a leader on LinkedIn, then this is exactly what I'm talking about. We now need to see the faces, hear the voices and read the insights of senior leaders within government and public sector. And I'm not just talking about the CEO, the president of the university or the head of department or the CIO or the COO. I'm really talking about those of you who have subject matter expertise. And I'm always also talking to you guys in marketing and press and in comms. So what does thought leadership look like? It looks like writing broadcasting and recording video long form content around a particular topic that will have good legacy impact on the internet. It's about you showing up on the social networks on Twitter and on LinkedIn and delivering those corporate comms messages as an individual but on behalf of your employing organization. Number two then is live streaming press conferences. Now we saw a lot of this during the pandemic and I don't want you to stop. Those press conferences were brilliant because as a former journalist, right, and PR practitioner, I know that the tool of the press conference is to engage a journalist and then with the intention of getting mass media coverage in mainstream media. But when you live stream it on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, even on LinkedIn, what you're getting then is you are getting the public watching and the public really understanding and getting your messages straight to you before they are um, written up or radio packages created by the journalists. So you have a straight line to the public when you live stream your press conferences. Number three, social media marketing. And what we talk about here at the Public Sector Marketing Show is social media for good in the public interest, using social media as a customer service channel, using social media to keep the public updated in real time, using social media to signpost to critical information from your thought leaders and host it on your own website. And talking about social customer service, that is my fourth recommendation. I predict that call centers are going to adapt into teams of people who have a direct line to subject matter experts and to senior leadership who can get responses out quickly. We see utilities and private companies using this very well and also transport organizations 
I really think it's time for government and public sector to lean into social customer service. Number five is email marketing, and not email marketing in the traditional sense of, you know, lead generation, bringing your citizens down the funnel and getting them to convert. I'm talking about, you know, e-government where I can sign up for updates from public health, from, you know, motor tax, um, you know, passport office giving me a prompt to say, hey, Joanne, your passport is out of date in six months. So, start planning to renew it. Those sort of push notifications and email updates would be of huge value. So start thinking about how you can leverage email marketing in the public interest. Number six is podcasting. And I've got a webinar coming up soon on podcasting in public sector. And this is a great internal comms tool. And of course, it's also a, a good medium for the public. But what I'm seeing right now is, by and large, the podcasts that uh, are being launched by the public sector are first serving an internal comms need. And we know social audio is growing, and we know podcasting use is growing, and it's also a, a very accessible medium also. And finally, number seven, virtual events are here, and they're here to stay. Uh, we've leaned into the technology during the pandemic. Our citizens are also comfortable with the technology. And in the absence of perhaps having a live event, maybe it's easier and quicker to have a webinar, to have a lunch and learn, to have a live Q&A. So make sure that you uh, also leverage the power of virtual events. Okay, so that's me with the positives of public sector marketing. Uh, be prepared for the unethical practices when we hear from Philip. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to our brand new knowledge product, and it's called Social Media Done For You. Think of it as like social media in a box. All the tools, strategies, and policies that you would need to implement great social media within your government or public sector agency. We've just released it on our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com, and you have lifetime access. And this includes any updates that I make to the resources. So what can you expect? Well, you have a template social media strategy. You have a range of social media policies. You have a 365-day inspiration calendar for social media. You also have checklists when it comes to hashtags, social and live video, auditing of your social platforms, and you also have template graphic designs that we have created in Canva, and all of these come with tutorial videos. So if you want our social media done for you product, go ahead, check it out on our website, and really, the price is amazing. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm joined by Philip Othen. For over 25 years, Philip has produced content for numerous platforms and mediums, including branded, commercial radio, books, news, and lifestyle websites, publishers, magazines, reality TV websites, 
social media, small football clubs, and perhaps most notably, a very famous sports person who he hasn't told me who that is. So he has worked on award-winning branded content campaigns for Crime Plaza and Heineken, and he's currently senior content writer at New Statesman Media Group, publishers of New Statements, Press Gazette, Luxury, Sustainable Lifestyle, and ESG in Industry Titles. This is a very insightful interview. Philip, thank you so much for joining me on the show. No trouble, Joanne. How are you doing? Well, I'm great. And I saw you come into my inbox in the past month and you tempted me with this guide. And as marketers, we always do these things, right? We write guides and we try and spread them as far as possible. But this one got my attention and hence now why you are on the show. So it's called The Most Hated unethical marketing practices revealed and i absolutely love it but before we get into that tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about you and your background oh thanks joanne um i actually come mainly from an editorial radio background i've worked for quite a few big companies in the past i've worked for capital radio for a, a few years which is great commentating on football matches you know i uh, was actually the pa for a football club for a while I suppose it just shows, as the microphone here might demonstrate, I like showing off my voice. Uh, in terms of content, I've just written across all, all types of content. It's only in the last couple of years I joined the New States and Media Group, who, of course, you know, own the New States and the big publishers. They have quite a few B2B titles as well as B2C, you know, Press Gazettes um, being another. Um, and I joined as their senior writer to write across the whole group. And as part of it, you know, my first really foray into marketing content. So for the last two years, uh, ironically, during COVID, when I when I got the job, I've learned everything there is to know. Well, not everything there is to know because it's never ending, but a, a lot to know about marketing that I never really had given any credence about. You know, I was I was editorial reporting, and suddenly I realised this is dark arts that's called marketing, and it's and it's been fascinating for me. As you rightly said, part of it, obviously, I realised you know to get leads, as we call them. You know, we we write this. This, this content hopefully a bit deeper than just your ordinary article, you know, like, you know, graphicized and, and hopefully in return for that content, people give you details and then obviously, you know, that, that, that begins the whole process. So yeah, we, we've written a few of these now we had a marketing rants one that was towards the end of last year where people just let off steam about the kind of thing that really irritates them about marketing. One of the ones that actually came from that were most people saying everyone thinks they can do marketing which I'm sure that you, you've heard before. But yeah, as you mentioned, this one, it's specifically to do with ethics in marketing. I think it's a big news item at the moment. We did some research. Um, we found that, well, a, a marketing platform called SEMrush found that there was a massive increase in, in ethical marketing searches online during the pandemic. You know, we've seen lots of stats suggesting that people are more likely to, to side with brands that show their ethics and don't pretend to be otherwise. And um, the consulting firm uh, Accenture <clears throat> also found that, you know, 10%, I mean, nine out of 10 people, you know, after thinking about ethics would continue to do so after the pandemic. So I think it's a big talking issue. And that's why we produced this report. And so this is the public sector marketing show. And specifically, we're talking to marketers in government and public sector right across the world. But I think that this definitely extends into them and even more so because guess what? The currency for government and public sector is trust and transparency. And you know this, you know, as a former uh, broadcaster and reporter, just like me, I've got the same background. 
And so the types of tactics that we use in government public sector have to be centered on trust. But let's get into them. You're actually going to take us through each of the bad marketing practices that you found and that are in this guide. And I'm going to link this guide in the blog post associated with the show so that people can download it. So there are seven and you call them seven unscrupulous solutions, only <laughs> one loser. So who's the loser? Is the loser the, the organization or the business that are engaging in these practices? Uh, well, no, actually what we did, we had seven different types of practices. So you could argue the one that got the most votes is the biggest loser because most uh we, we spoke to people in marketing but also in business and publishing so your number one which we'll get to is the one that received the most votes from all our correspondents that they thought was the least ethical oh excellent so you had a vote on it too i love it exactly okay so let's go in and we're going to go from seven to one okay so let's start with number seven what is it so coming in seventh just two percent of our votes was newsjacking. I mean, this obviously we see more and more and coming from the public sector background, you all know this probably more than most, you know, governments love to get involved in cultural issues, should we say, um, and then make their, you know, make news on, on that behalf. And brands like to do it just as much aligning with the current news of the day, the current, you know, cultural war is dangerous. Obviously, you get it wrong, but it can be very good for certain companies. You know, they're seen in good ways. And, you know, we did look at some, you know, there are have been good examples. I remember in a previous role at the Huffington Post, there were well, it was actually quite a nice campaign in Brazil where, where they, they they use Fanta to try and stop the, you know, homophobic abuse and everyone was proud to drink it. So it can be done, you know, for good. But in this example, I think most people were suggesting they're so you know, keen to get onto the latest news of the day. And, you know, and this probably is on social media more than anything else, that actually people react badly against it. You know, no one really wants to be preached to if they're talking about an ice cream, you know, that kind of thing. So we did look at a couple of examples. There was like a, a Gap example. I think they, um, the Gap tried to, um, like a few red, that's right, it was the it was the American election. They tried to produce their clothing, which was both red and blue, to symbolize the unity between the, uh, the and that obviously fell flat on its face. So that, that ended up at number seven uh, with just 2% of the vote. Um, in sixth came greenwashing, uh, another obviously big, big item at the moment. You know, you look at the Newcastle uh, United football takeover, there's a lot of outcry about how, you know, the regime in Saudi Arabia is obviously dubious to say the best. Um, and, you know, they're trying to pretend that perhaps, you know, they're not aligned with those values and, and, and that the people who are ahead of the regime aren't actually involved. And that would be classed as a form of greenwashing. But specifically, when they say, obviously, that sports washing with greenwashing, it's more about your environmental credentials. So brands trying to pretend that they, they, they are, you know, they're sustainable, you know, when they're not. And I suppose, you know, the most famous example was back in, was it 2015 with Volkswagen, who, you know, obviously got caught out, you know, uh, trying to pretend that their, their emission tests were better than they were, had to apologize, and it had a huge impact on the company. So, you know, that, that only 4% voted for that. But, you know, for me personally, actually, you know, there are a few later on that probably people will chime with more. But, I mean, that for me is... It's particularly egregious, certainly at the moment, you know, you look at the climate change um, debate and there should be no debate, but, you know, anyone hacking into that net zero argument, you know, for their own gains is, is, is probably not good news and you would call it unethical. Um, in fifth place, 
6% of the votes are still quite low numbers voting for this. We had collaborating with unethical influencers. Now, again, in a, in previous roles of, of mine, and I'm sure yours, Joe, and you've had to use influence in the past. We've certainly had brands that, 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 that you know, would request they want to chime into, a, say, a youth market, and they want to work with uh, influencers. I certainly, I had one for, I won't name the company, but I remember the influencer in question. This was years back, uh, tried to charge me £6,000 for just posting a tweet. Uh, and that's the kind of power, you know, that they hold. And obviously, when you when you deal with bigger um, names, they request a lot more, and it's a lot of money to be spending. So the last thing you want is to get into bed, as it were, with someone who, you know, in their own life, it doesn't live in the most ethical way or, you know, in the moral way. And if, if your, your brand is directly tied to that, that can be very dangerous for you. Uh, one of the examples was the Kendall Jenner and Pepsi ad that uh, I think lots of people found, you know, uh, not particularly convincing, you know, her somehow stopping some form of war by offering the drink. So, it, you know, the backlash can be can be bad. And I think that's why brands probably should avoid um, that practice. Okay, we're getting into fourth place now. Clickbait article headlines. Well, there we go. This is probably something. Now, I don't think I've been guilty of this, but what I do know is that as you probably and hopefully your audience will know, when you write copy, you know, often you don't look after the headline. It can be the job of the sub-editor or the editor. And secondly, they try to put your content in various places. Again, social media, but across different platforms. New States Media Group, for example, you know, we have sort of six or seven publishing platforms and you might want to have the same message ac across all. But maybe the person doing that might change the headline to make it more sexy or more clickable across different platforms and then suddenly you're in that territory of not delivering on what you promise um there was a study in the university of mississippi and oklahoma and they found that 25 percent of 1.67 million facebook posts use clickbait headlines um and that was just you know that's a that's a massive sample and we all know the danger of the so-called and i hate calling this fake news because we know who started that phrase but you know we know how dangerous it is, you know, to get people clicking on things that just simply don't deliver. And that can be terrible for an organization, for, you know, even the public sector, you know, who want to get people engaged. And as soon as you click on that link, you find it's not, it's not what you expect. And, you know, many would argue, in fact, 11% of our respondents argued that's not good practice. In third place, uh, something that is, uh, we've discussed on length, uh, in length, I should say, in the New Statesman Media Group, because we uh, we use a lot of data in a lot of our journalism, especially across New Statesman, um, is non-transparent data use, which got 17% of the vote. Um, you know, data is is a massively uh, is a massive commodity for for brands for organisations. The more data they have, the better. You would argue, in a good world, they can target and give you things you want, but obviously, unscrupulously, they can target you. Uh, for example. Let's say you know you're, you're you're you know you're involved in the betting world, you know, and you're getting emails because you you, you once had a bet, you, you know, and then we get onto that later actually with, with one of the, the other categories. But you know, by not being honest with your data, you, you you know, you simply people would just not want anything to do with that brand if they start you know receiving unsolicited emails, you know, or, or posts. You know, it's just not in their interest. It's in everyone's interest for a the consumer, which is all of us, unfortunately, in this capitalist world to know their worth and know that they need something in return. Hence a report like this, ironically, you know, we're trying to get things in return. We're trying to get people, you know, to download it so we can talk to them or the right people, should we say, but hopefully in return, they get something that's actually useful for their own 
life or their own work that they can use anything you know they can use any part of it in in what they do so i suppose that would be an actually an example of hopefully being transparent about the data use but you know companies have to do this and you know our population is is, is massively savvy uh, and and this obviously also lay uh, ways into that the cookieless uh, you know the third party cookies being um, removed from google chrome next year you know, lots of companies are only going to have first-party cookies, which basically is people on your own website. Third-party cookies, obviously, you can track people they're, they're, where they've been, where they're going after you to get more of a profile of them. Now it's only going to be about what they do on your website, and that's when you're going to need to be absolutely transparent about your data use to make sure that they have, you know, it's a clear strategy. In second place, coming up here, so 19% now. So there is actually an overall winner that's got quite a, a large vote. But in second place, we had concealing important information. Now, you know, this sort of is in tandem, I suppose, with clickbait. Um, I found it quite fascinating. There was a, someone from uh, the business publisher, Raconteur, who got in contact with us about this one. I'll just share his quote because I thought it was quite interesting and pretty much sums it up. He has a starting at quote, pricing is a personal bugbear of his. Travel brands and hotels are probably the worst offenders. Here's how it works. Businesses lure you in with beautiful photography and clever copy, which states that their prices start from just dot, dot, dot. But click on the advert and you'll find that that price only applies if you book the room with a communal bathroom located in the basement on Tuesday nights in January if there's a full moon. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all we've all had it, haven't we? I, and I, I think the ironic part of this, it probably doesn't stop us clicking because... With things like that, we're there for a reason. You know, we want to book a holiday, uh, we want to book a hotel, but we just we go through so many false, you know, promises just to get something that actually makes sense. So, I think you know, if you get a brand who does that a lot, it could absolutely put their consumers off, and they're likely to go elsewhere. And then finally, I don't do a drum roll because I haven't got a drum kit, but with forty-one percent of the votes, and I think probably something we can all agree with is targeting the vulnerable came out as the most egregious act of it all. I mean, it kind of goes without saying really, you know, that we got a lovely uh, quote from uh, a man called Adrian Palmer, who's a professor and head of marketing at Henley Business School. And he was telling us, you know, it's this, it's the, the buyer knows best is, is not necessarily true. You know, as I was saying, you know, we are more savvy online. We're more savvy with our data. But ultimately, you know, there are people who who are probably less savvy, uh, and you know, different generations obviously haven't lived through this. And let's be honest, marketers are quite, you know, clever sometimes. You know, the, these tricks, you know, they're, they're bad practice, but very few of them are, you know, illegal in in their own sense. So, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, the betting one is 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 quite clear with this. You know, there was an example of of a man who, you know. He he had elapsed out of his betting account because he spent and lost so much money, and he'd even written to the betting account asking him never to contact again. He gets an email with an offer for him to join, you know, with free bets, you know, and that can lead to tragedy, as we all know. So, you know, I think it's something that hopefully most people wouldn't do naturally, you know, and if they knew it was happening, they would like to do something about it. But targeting the vulnerable came out as number one in our in our, in our reports with 41%. You were right at the beginning, there was one loser and that being one clear winner. And what struck me when you were going through each of those so brilliantly is that 
a lot of these bad practices are actually more scalable now because of the internet, social media, democratization of the internet, free availability of Wi-Fi and the smartphone. So like in your own opinion, after, you know, speaking to all of those experts and business owners and then writing the report, do you think that these bad practices are only going to get worse or what can intervene to to stop them? I think I think there's twofold this answer. I think number one, you're absolutely right. And something I've learned writing about marketing for two years is the smartphone being the ultimate marketing device. You know, we've written report well, not reports, we've written articles, you know, people still, you know, get galillion, you know, um emails, they're still contactable, you know, through their texts and their and their WhatsApp and so many different ways, and obviously in social media on their phones. And they have I mean, we have our phones on us all the time. I've put my phone in a different room just for this interview, but I guarantee when it's over, I'll be getting it back, even though I've got a computer here where I can easily find the same information. You know, it is quite worrying at times, but what it does mean is there's no longer a perfect time to reach someone. You know, it used to be, I suppose, you know, TV adverts. So when EastEnders, or not EastEnders, it's BBC One, but when Corrie is on, you know, the most valuable slot, I'm sure it still is, but you can now get people who are sitting at home on their phone whilst watching Corrie, you know, in two ways. So... I think the phone is is the biggest problem. Um, so any any of these sort of tactics, you know, probably will absolutely have more of an effect because you know, you can get them twenty four hours a day. I mean, especially if you look at something like targeting the vulnerable. You know, a lot of offers do come through your emails or, or texts, and that naturally you you access through your phone. So the fact you can't or you won't switch it off means that you're more likely to, to react to it. And I think that marketers are, are wise to that, brands are wise to that. And that's why so much focus goes into things like social media these days. And one of the the seven uh, poor marketing practices was clickbait. And it's quite interesting because in the last couple of weeks, TikTok have come out to say that they are now going to penalize its users for video bait. Okay. okay. Interesting. Interesting. Give me, uh, yeah, give me an example. So an example would be, let's say that you've got a, a one minute TikTok video and you have your thumbnail and you've got like text overlay. And again, mm-hmm. that's like the headline. So the promise is in the headline, but you need to deliver the value in the article if it's web or print or in the video if it is TikTok. And so they've recognized clickbait sneaking in to TikTok and their algorithm is now going to clamp down on it. So good move, I guess, by TikTok there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's face it, clickbait is all about the click. I mean, the clues in the name. Uh, I don't know if you know this, is actually Jay Beager uh, invented a word in 2006. Uh, it made it to the, um, the dictionaries 10 years later, but it was like obviously combining the click of a mouse with the bait needed to attract, you know. So I think the only way that clickbait will really change is when companies wise up and they stop using these um, you know, intangible um, clicks uh, and down, you know, maybe not downloads so much, but clicks, certainly a click through rate, you know, you still get people, you know, paying money for it. So if people are going to pay for it, they want it to be as effective as possible. They're more likely to be, let's say, misleading with their headlines than not because they paid for it and they need people to click, you know, when that ability goes away and it's not, you know, measured in that, it's actually measured in, say, the amount of time that someone spends on the site or the amount of interaction they do, then hopefully we'll move away or a bit further away from that. Unfortunately, I think when it comes to editorial, you know, clickbait's going nowhere. The amount of times 
you must have seen, you know, you'll never guess how old this person is now or something like that. You know, it, it's all over the place and it, it, it's there because it, it works and, you know, it gets that click-through rate probably empty. But as I said, until brands move away from using that as some kind of measurement, then it, it's always going to happen. And actually, one last note on that, I just thought not that this is that relevant to me anymore, but dating sites must be the most clickbait out there. Yeah, a good analogy, right? And Camille, one thing I was thinking about was, you know, good principles of marketing practice. If these are the poor practices, should brands and organizations be transparent and say and put on our website, here are our principles of marketing. And yes, we are engaged in social media retargeting, lead generation, but we're being transparent and here's how we will engage you. I think that's uh, the the perfect the perfect way forward, isn't it? Because you know, lots of companies will happily put their own company policies up. You know, you know, we don't tolerate bullying. This is an equal and fair workplace, and they they love to trumpet that. But you're right. Why shouldn't each each department show their values? You know, it's quite a strong message. If you you know, even when we go back to editorial, you know, if if you say we're setting out our editorial values on our homepage because this is what we stand for, then there's no getting away from it. You know, you you know, and the, the way that everything is picked up. You know that they know that if they fall short of that they're going to be on the wrong place of the news where they want to be in the right place so i think that's it's an excellent idea and there's no reason why the sales department the marketing department you know the data collection department shouldn't be more open and honest unless they've got something to hide yeah and we're all now required under gdpr and other data protection legislation to actually disclose our privacy policies on our website and keep them updated and at least review them twice a year. But final question, I think you've just reminded us that marketing is a long game, right? And people have this impression that social media can solve all your business problems, all your marketing problems, you know, your reputation problems because it's so fast and it's so immediate. But, you know, is then the the key takeaway from the poor practices that you've shared with us that our mindset needs to shift and in the fast moving world of di world of digital in some cases marketing hasn't changed because we're trying to develop legacy and long-term relationships and in fact marketing is still a long game i absolutely agree with you on that one joanne i mean again this is quite refreshing because i don't come from that background i mean i have worked you know with commercial obviously commercial content before and that kind of thing but this is a whole new world and you're absolutely right you know the thing i've heard time and time again from anyone you know, we, we've spoken to about 30 cmos on the press gazette as part of you know this we have a series called marketing maestros and they're the same questions and it's really interesting to hear the different responses to the same questions but what comes up time and time again it's like you know marketing is all about with the you know having the right message to the right person at the right time in the right place you know but since we've discussed the right place is pretty much anywhere because you can reach someone at any time then it's more about well what else can you give me you know young people certainly there's been there's been stats that show that they're, they're far more likely to go with brands that offer them something in return and, and why wouldn't you you know the, the trouble is there's so much to sell and this goes for organizations for public sector there's just so much competition for space i think what marketers forget is that people genuinely you know will want to buy something or, or, or get a service you know they're not just there just to chill out and read like a, you know your website they're there for a reason as long as then you have that relationship as, as as personalized as possible and as you know honest as possible and transparent as possible then they're more likely to engage with you um you just have to catch them at the right time 
and let's face it, what it all comes down to is having the right product in the first place. You know, if you've got something that no one wants, it doesn't really matter what your marketing technique, long or short, short term is. It just ain't going to work. Yeah. And people got to get away from those vanity metrics like, you know, the 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 followers and the hits, because if you're not qualifying the audience, then maybe 80 percent of those are just, you know, not good enough in terms of relevance. And what you need to do is create content that repels people that are not your right audience. So, yeah, I'm here for the long game. As I said, it got my attention. I thought it was a smart piece of writing. Thank and you. research but also a smart piece of marketing which is <laughs> <laughs> which is quite ironic but for I'm, the, learning, I'm learning <laughs> where can people um find those marketing maestro series and i know i've written an article for you and that's how you we have, yes, came across yes. each other first but where do you want to direct people now to find out more i'll link the guide but to read your other marketing uh, genius articles uh, just go to the Press Gazette. Uh, we have one of our sections is called Marketing and Ads, and they all can be found on there, including yourself, Joanne. Philip Othen, an absolute pleasure. I'm going to get some mileage and crack now out of uh, this PDF guide. I'll be quoting it all the time. Uh, pleasure to speak to you. You too. You too. Lovely to see you. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code Digital Marketing Twenty for a twenty percent discount. Visit PublicSectorMarketingPros.com. So, apart from the great value that you get in this podcast and weekly show, we also give you freebies in other ways. So, today's free resource is our upcoming CPD webinars. Uh, we've got LinkedIn for leaders, and we also have going remote in public sector. We also have a whole host of on-demand webinars where you can sign up and get them immediately, ranging from social media to digital marketing and crisis communications. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. It's a pleasure, as always, to hang out with you. I'm looking at my stats week to week, and they are growing. Uh, we've been podcasting this show for over a year now, um, and I always knew it was a long-term project, but we're getting some great feedback. And I just want to say that I really appreciate the time and attention that I get from every single listener. But for me, for now, thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.